Welcome back to Catfish Lose at 2460 Northwest 24th for another OMN Coffee Shop Conversation. I'm Tom D'Antoni. As you may have noticed, we've talked to more than music industry people on this thing. So like today, for instance, I rewatched the documentary The Battling Bastards of Baseball the other night. Larry Colton popped up in it. He was a member of the Portland Mavericks. I thought, oh, yeah, he would make a great guest. Larry is also a Pulitzer Prize-nominated author for his book, Counting Coup. He's written a lot of great books and working on more. I did a TV story on him in the past, and we had a lot of fun, and that's why he's here. So welcome back, Larry Colton. Larry, welcome to Catfish Lose. Glad you're here. Well, it's a pleasure to be here once again back with the great Tom. Hey, you know, uh, I, we haven't, I haven't, I hadn't talked to you for years. Well, what did I do wrong? I don't know. <laughs> I guess you hadn't had any books out for a while. No, that's true. And yeah, I, wasn't doing any, I wasn't doing anything with, with book writers. Well, you know, I don't have to have a book out to talk. <laughs> Well, I didn't hear from you either. Okay. Well, the, the internet was down that day. Yeah, All right. <laughs> anyway, so um, I was uh, I was flipping through Netflix the other day, mm-hmm. and there you were. Uh, yes, right there on the BBB. That's battered bastards of baseball. Thank for, you for you. Thank you. Uh, Thank you. Uh, <laughs> alphabet challenge. The story of the Portland Mavericks. Yes, it, yeah, the, yeah. Uh, quite a phenomenon here in, in uh, Portland town. Yep, and you were briefly with them, yes? My, it, my uh, tenure with the Mavericks lasted a little bit longer than my major league career, but, <laughs> but I was there, but uh, I was teaching school at the time. Uh-huh. I, I taught at Adams High School, and the summer before, I'd, I'd painted houses, and that was about you know I had a college degree and big league ball player and, and there I am painting houses and I thought well nothing wrong with painting houses I just had thought I was going to be in a different realm at that point in my life and then the Mavericks were in town and I thought well shit I can play am I allowed to cuss on this it's a podcast you can say anything uh, oh okay so uh, um, I uh, went out and I tried out for the team under an assumed name because really? the manager Frank Peters I played against him in college and in the pros <laughs> and plus I looked absolutely nothing like I did I looked like Charlie Manson at the time I had I had really long hair and a beard Well there's a shot of you with that Yeah yeah like yeah that. I mean in, I was in the documentary Oh yeah I was my mother called them the lost years and she would say do you think you really look good with that you know and so i tried out under a fake name and uh, they had a tryout at the uh, uh, civic stadium which was called at the time it's been through six other uh, right. uh, things since then but but i pitched three innings and i hadn't pitched in like six years and uh, picked up a ball and I snuck up on my arm, and I, in three innings, I struck out eight guys. Ah. And uh, came off the field, and the owner, Bing Russell, who's quite a character, and a, uh, he'd been the sheriff on Bonanza yeah. for many years. And He's then, the main character in the documentary. Yeah, he is yeah. The, the documentary is made by his grandson, so yeah. I would think it would be about him. <laughs> I wanted it to be about me, but they, they <laughs> insisted it would be about him. But at any rate, he comes out of the stands, and he didn't, he didn't know who I was, and he, he didn't know that I'd actually played uh, at higher-level ball, and he comes out and says, Wow, 
you can really pitch, but I bet you're a drug addict. <laughs> I went, well, I, I do inhale. Yes, I do. That's funny. <laughs> and so, uh, so I made the team. And, uh, but uh, it was a freak of nature when I did so well because the first game I pitched, they left me in there for the whole game. I pitched a complete game. That's probably the last complete game anybody in America has ever pitched. But, <laughs> but I, th- I set a Northwest League record for most d- triples or doubles or something. <laughs> I mean, it was, it was terrible. And we lost like 10 to 2. And, uh, and then so the next Sunday it was, I was sitting on the bench and the manager uh, – um, Frank Peters came up. To, I was sitting there feeling all sad because I'd been so bad. And, yeah. my, and he said, hey, you used to be a pretty good hitter. Go up there and pinch hit. And I hadn't <laughs> taken batting practice at all. And so I go up there, and I'm left-handed hitter, and there's some guy out there. He, I think it might have been Randy Johnson. I, it was some left-handed <laughs> guy who about six foot nine, and he, I, I have no chance to get this guy. I said, well, I'll swing as hard as I can. And so the first pitch he threw me, I lined it ball off of the top of the center field wall it was a stand-up double and i'm going whoa i'm batting a thousand and uh i'm out there figuring out my batting average and the shortstop sneaks in behind me and we're behind 10 to nothing and he sneaks in behind me and they pick me off oh you can't get picked off when you're ever but if you're behind 10 to nothing and then i come back in and the uh, uh, Frank Peters, the manager, his coach was a guy named Ralph Coleman, who the field now at Oregon State is named after. And he, huh. he was the, his assistant coach, and he comes in, he just comes up to me on the bench, and he's just screaming at me. He's right about two <laughs> inches from my face. You stupid shib. What the hell are you thinking about? They're buying 10 and nothing. And I wanted to go, excuse me? I'm a public school teacher. <laughs> <laughs> You know, I really don't need this shit. This is just, I'm not trying to do anything. I just, it beats painting houses for a living. And so, uh, so they ended up making me the designated hitter. And I was batting 320. And I was batting cleanup. Yeah. And uh, I was doing great guns. And I was all of a sudden, I I did have a a fantasy about making it back to the big leagues as a hitter instead of a pitcher. And then they got a call from a guy named Jim Bouton. Oh, yeah. Who'd written Ball Four. And he was famous. And he said he wanted to try to make a comeback. And and so the Mavericks were an independent team. They're the only team in baseball that would give him a chance because he had been banned from baseball because of his book. Right. And so... They, so they had a chance to get him, but you're only allowed one player that's played at a higher level than a ball. Ah, than that. And ah, I, I was that player, but then when he came, it was either Jim Bouton or me. And so, oh, yeah, well. so that was it for me. But I went and I said, well, I, that was interesting. Maybe I'll write a story about it. So I wrote a story about uh-huh. my, you know, two weeks with the Mavericks. Yeah. And the, the uh, Oregonian bannered it across the top of the front page. <laughs> it was the first thing I'd ever tried to publish. Or ri- really? Write. And that launched my writing career. And wow. I started publishing all the time after that. And four months later, I quit teaching to become a starving artist. <laughs> and I was a starving teacher, but now I was, you know, I was more, I could wear a beret now. So the, You had never written anything? Never written anything. I didn't take any writing classes in college. In college, I knew I was going to be a baseball player, so I I got a degree, but I wasn't exactly burning up the library. When was the last time you looked at that piece? 
Never. <laughs> Come on. No, I ha- I look at the pictures because they ran two pictures at the top of the page. One was me from 75, what it was, when I looked like Charlie Manson, right yeah. next to a <laughs> picture of me in my Philly uniform when I looked like Beaver Cleaver or something up there. And so uh, I got letters from all over the place, including this one guy who wrote, why would anybody purposeful purposefully make himself look so hideous (laughs) and uh, I was back to teaching school by the time I got that letter and I had my students as an assignment I had so I had like 120 students I had them all write this guy a letter (laughs) I put them in an envelope and write that I didn't correct them or anything I just sent them up that guy was not only a shitty pitcher he was a (laughs) shitty teacher these kids don't know where a comma goes <laughs> so uh but anyway that was uh uh yeah with no experience as a writer no you'd never studied writing I in college stu- or anything? no no never huh? took it uh, uh you know i had to write essays and stuff in college but no i never studied never you, took you any, never thought about writing never thought about it. not for until i wrote that article no yeah. i never had not one second did i ever think about it did you write it because it was interesting or because it might have, it was a little payday Oh, I think I got paid three hundred dollars for it, but that was three quarters of my Maverick salary. The, well, that, that was that was that was yeah, pretty big time, decent money yeah, for yeah, the time. Yeah, right. And so, or maybe I'm exaggerating. Maybe it was only two hundred. I can't remember. Yeah. But but I wasn't when I wrote that thing. It was just a way. It was just something I thought oh, that'd be interesting to write that. Uh-huh. But it got such positive feedback that. I said, well, I'll do this again. So I just started doing other stuff and just whatever came along as I was teaching. And uh, like, but, what, what, other kind of, what, what else did you write about? Oh, I wrote about teaching stuff. I wrote uh-huh. about issues that were going on in, the, in Portland and Oregon at yeah. the time. Well, you could get paid for an op-ed back then. I didn't write op-ed. I uh. didn't write uh, opinion pieces, although everything uh, you write is an opinion yes, piece. But yeah. but but I was writing more stories or narratives of uh, covering some bizarre. I had to do stuff that the the, the Oregonian wasn't paying their their writers. Right. So I I wrote. I was really the first journalist to go up and spend a lot of time with the Rajneesh. I went oh. up and hung up out up at Rajneesh Purim for three days and then wrote a piece about it that. It was probably the most positive piece ever written about the Rajneesh because, well, they had a deal where they would, uh, all journalists who came there, and this is like their second year, first year there, all journalists who came there, they they had a PR people who would follow you around everywhere. You were always in with one of these people. Uh-huh. And they were, they picked the, the most beautiful women in the whole commune of to course. go with a smart strategy. And yeah. so I always had, for three days, I had this, some <laughs> incredibly beautiful woman following me around. And I go, oh, yeah, you're really, you're going to try to poison the, oh, that's a big deal. <laughs> so so when I came out, so I'd been in there for three days with no outside contact. And as I left to come back to Portland, I stopped in a town called Shanico, which uh-huh. is just outside of where the, the uh, commune was. And there was, there's a Shanico Hotel, and there was a sign out in front, of, you know, bar. And so I said, well, I'm, you know, I'm going to go have a drink. I, had, yeah. I need a drink after this. So I go in. <laughs> there's one car parked in front. It was a pickup truck with a bumper sticker that said, 
better dead than red because the red was the color and yeah. the, over there in antelope yeah. and surrounding areas they hated these people right and so i sat down at the bar and the guy goes what are you doing down here and i go well i just was up researching a story on the rajneesh and he just went ballistic about that <laughs> you know like oh my god you're stupid what are you doing and then i said well you got to give him credit for one thing they are doing marvelous stuff with the the land up there they have got this incredible 2000 acre you know vegetable thing that they're it's amazing it's like grade 6 land and they're they're uh, what they've done is amazing you have to admit that he looks at me and he goes let me tell you this buddy you give me 3000 dumb shits who are willing to work 12 <laughs> hours a day for nothing i'll have carrots growing out of the fucking hood of your car out there <laughs> but so anyway did you, did you use that quote no i didn't use oh, that quote I, I, I didn't but i actually they did a big uh the same guys who did the documentary the batter bastards of baseball yeah. did did the yes. the same thing on the rajneesh yeah. in their research they came across the the article that i had written about him for the oregonian ah. they went wait a second that's that clown that we interviewed for <laughs> how could he be in both of those things so they flew all the way up from la to interview me they ah. spent five hours on a sunday afternoon interviewing me wow. and i did give him that quote <laughs> and it ended up on the cutting room floor oh, I, I, I didn't i wanted to be the the only guy that could have been in the Rajneesh and the Maverick story, but I, I only made one of them. But I know I'm going to ask for the outtakes on that one. Yeah, it was that was that documentary was a revelation to me because I observed all that stuff from Baltimore where I was living. The Rajneesh, so I, had no, yeah. I had no idea yeah. what was really going on. Yeah, it was well, either did I really. I mean, right. I went up yeah, there yeah. early on. That was well, well before. They tried to poison the Dows and yeah. do all the other stuff they did. They were just getting launched. But, yeah. but uh, uh, I probably I, – I, there's another article I haven't gone back and reread. It's, uh -huh. uh, I, if I reread what I wrote this morning, I would think it was a piece of shit. You know, you just – any all writers think that way. You know, it's just – you, when yeah. you write it, you think it's brilliant, but then when you look at it again, even the stuff that's been published, I, I – I, I have uh, read from books, uh, Counting Coup, my book, got nominated for a Pulitzer, and I've been sitting, going ready to go up and read in front of an audience, and I'm there editing uh -huh. the book in the back <laughs> of the room before I go up because I'm thinking, why did they publish this shit? Why didn't they edit it? It's a little different if you're, if you're, if, if you're writing jokes. Well, I don't know how to do that. One of the best things is you, you go back and you find something of yours that you hadn't looked at for years and years, you forgot the jokes, and it makes you laugh. Yeah. That's really good. Yeah. Well, I guess it's the same in just narrative writing, too, is yeah. if you go back and, I mean, there's times I'll read someone. My main reaction is, I wrote that? Right. I, I didn't right. know I knew, oh. even knew those words. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, yeah. And I know I've never plagiarized anything. So yeah. it's just, yeah. but I, I'm sure jokes are the same way, or I'm sure songwriters, whoever, TV scripts, right. whatever, right. it's like, I can do better. I can do better. Uh, you know, it's just like, uh, your guy pitches a one hitter. Oh God, I could have. They should have never got. I don't it. know if that's really true all the time. Now, I'm not comparing myself to Bob Dylan. Don't get me wrong. Mm -hmm. Okay, but when he was when he had that big flurry of publicity a few years back, he was interviewed on 60 Minutes, and he said, "I couldn't write that stuff now." Yeah, and I felt that way about my my book of stupid, gross out 
humor, right? Because I, I couldn't write that now. First of all, I'm not living in Baltimore, which was a great inspiration yeah, right. for really, really stupid stuff yeah. and, hor- and horrifying stuff. And I, you know, I, I would get up every day, smoke a lot of pot, sit, sit at the Selectric, <laughs> and, and think of the worst things possible that it, it come yeah. out of my head. And so, so I, I, I identified with, with Dylan because... I, you know, because I couldn't write that stuff again. Yeah. No, there's, um, I'm right now, I'm working on, uh, well, I'm working on a couple books, uh, but one of them is sort of a collection of short, true stories, uh-huh. you know, first person. And so I am go back and I look at stuff I've written. Yeah. And so I'm rewriting it or updating it uh, with stuff. And, you know, the sort of the basis of the story seemed to hold true, but I know that I can make them better, you, you know. And so, yeah. oh, God, yeah. I, I took six sentences to what, say what I could say in one sentence. And so, <laughs> so, but we're constantly editing. It's, you know, uh-huh. I, unfortunately, I haven't been edited, you know, in my marriages. <laughs> I might have been better off there. It's different with journalism because, you know, once it's out there, it's out there. Yeah, it's out there, and they think, well, that was his best effort, and that's right. all he could come up with. Right. <laughs> no, that's no, not my best effort. Nothing you can do about that. I had that. to get it in. I yeah. needed my 200 bucks. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. So, <laughs> uh, it's a little, it's, it is a little different with with uh, online stuff because, see, because, with, especially with, 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 with Oregon Music News, yeah. because... I, I have the key to the back end, and if I see something I've written that's that, that's particularly shitty, I can go back and change it. Yeah, can you delete the whole damn thing? <laughs> well, I could, yeah, if yeah. I wanted to. But yeah, I have not. I've not I, yeah, now once it's in print, you're yeah. pretty much right. Yeah. But on the other hand, it gets thrown away the next day. Well, I think we're, writers tend to be vainglorious, thinking that everybody's still hanging on your words that you no. wrote 20 years ago. No. They, they, no. they don't. Only you are. Only I am. Yes. You know, and sometimes not even me. But, yeah. but um, That's why I have to keep reminding them. Remember when I wrote? Yeah, right. No, I, I, I don't do that because I know they're going to go, no, I don't. Yeah, I kind of vaguely. Well, if they're your friends, they'll be nice to you. Yeah, but it, but I've gone into pals and, and and you know there's not many writers who've got multiple books published that don't go to pals yes. and don't go over and just check out to see if right. they got copies of your book there. And I've right. gone over there and seen copies of my book that would be inscribed to my best friend John, and the, <laughs> and the guy's gone out and sold it. You know, so that's always disheartening. <laughs> Yeah. I know. I was thinking the same thing about Sean Levy's book. You know, Sean was in here week before last, and and uh, you know, sh- should I sell the no? Because I can't, I can't sell the book because he would see it. Yeah, yeah. yeah no, I've gone to my daughter's house, and and so she's got multiple books in her house. He's yeah. a big book person, and so I look. And last time I was up there, there was no copies of, of my book any of my books there and uh-huh. i went where's my books what are you doing uh-huh. well i loaned them out dad i gave them to friends and i go wait a second you loaned <laughs> them out no this isn't i'm not into this for the art anymore this is an entrepreneurial adventure make them go buy their own fucking books you know we don't give them away uh, you know are you a, she's a teacher would you do you teach these kids for free no i mean but also i do a lot of editing for people who are working on manuscripts or summaries because of 
partially because of Wordstock, you know, the, being the mm -hmm. founder of Wordstock, everybody, you know, thinks I'm connected to the literary world. And they'll come to me to edit a book or a manuscript or a story that they've had. And I, I'm, I do it all the time, and it's for free. I don't get paid. Most writers are just trying to emerge. They don't have any money. But I get doctors and lawyers who've written manuscripts, and they come to me. Yeah. And and they just expect me to edit their book for free. And I, it'd be like <laughs> me going to the doctor and say, Hey, Doc, my gallbladder has been kind of acting up. Would you just do a take out of my gallbladder? I, got, I need some open-heart surgery. Would you do it for free here? Or, you uh, edited Storm Large's book. Yes, I What did. was that like? Well... Any, I don't care if it was a piece of shit. It was just fun hanging out with her, right. <laughs> you know. Right, I, I, right, uh, right. Um, so she's a she's a multi on so many levels talented person. Yeah, and she's a good writer. And that, so it was. She had never published anything at that point. I mean, uh -huh. other than her songs and everything. Yeah, yeah. But she she was. It was a memoir type thing, and yeah, it was based yeah. on her one woman play. The uh -huh. you know, crazy enough yeah and uh so i didn't really know what her and i was so i read it and thought well this is good and i worked with her on it and then i set her up with my agent in new york and he represented her uh -huh. for th that book and the difference is though that i had given her a big bill i think he'd gone online and seen pictures of her yeah but he flew her to New York to talk to him in person. <laughs> he never flew me to New York to talk to me in person. <laughs> well, he actually went. He this is I don't know that anybody's ever done this. He took her when he went around to peddle the book to different publishers. He took her with him, so that because she's such a force. Yes. That that she went into the publisher's oh, yeah. office. And I can I, see that. Yeah, I can see it, too. Yeah. But <laughs> I want to go in there, too, you know. But no. Yeah. That's funny. You know, it's funny. Um, uh, I, I did the first TV story on her. Yeah. And um, uh, the, the interview was so great. Yeah. It was just, but it was one of those things where there were a couple of things that, you know, were, were – um, they were just stormed. They were yeah. they were filthy and they were wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and so there were and so I put both of them in the story, knowing that the boss would make me take one of them out. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> one, just one. Yeah. yeah. And so the one that got in was, she said, "I want to take the audience and just shake it like a, like a, like like a uterus and an orgasm." Oh, right? Jesus. But that got in. Really? The other one was, was oh. you know. She came over when we were in the editing process. She came over to my house one time, and uh, she, I had my grandson, who was at the time, he was 11. And <laughs> he, he was leaving the next day. He was going to a, a skateboard camp up by Mount Hood, a place called Wendell. So it's his, where Sean White, it's the, it's the Harvard of skateboard camps. Uh -huh. And so she said, I heard you're going to skateboard camp. Are you looking forward to it? And he goes, yeah. And he doesn't know who she is. And she and he's 11 years old. She looks at him, gives him a thumbs up, and says, that's fucking awesome, man. <laughs> Wait, Storm, he's 11. I'm trying to get him to be a sweet young man. But um, so it's, uh, yeah, she's, uh, I introduced her. I, this was one of the great, I wish I'd filmed this thing. I introduced her to uh, Arlene Snitzer. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> and it was at a restaurant at the Heathman. It was a big uh -huh. fancy thing, and uh -huh. that was a 
priceless thing. I'll bet. She was, <laughs> because actually Arlene is a little bit salty herself, uh-huh. not to the degree uh-huh. that uh, yeah. Storm is, but they were quite a combo watching those two together. Storm is very salty, but she's not mean. No, I don't know. No. I don't think so. And she, uh-uh. She's brilliant, talented. She's, yeah. she's got it all. Yeah. <laughs> so, all right. So, one book that you're working on is stories. Are they true? The oh, true yeah. Stories? They're all true okay. stories. Yeah. A couple of them have, have appeared in print before, but uh-huh. by the time they appear this time, they'll be completely, maybe not recognizable. <laughs> but the, uh, uh, and the other one is a true story. Um, I don't write fiction. Even I tried once. I wrote 100 pages and showed it, uh, it was fiction, and I showed it to my, my close friend, um, uh, Catherine Dunn, uh-huh. National Book Award winner, right. legend here in Portland. Yes. And, uh, and I've been close friends with her back since we both started together. And she, I set her up with my agent, uh, Richard Pine, as well. Uh-huh. And, uh, she, and she's the most supportive person of writing that I'd ever come across. And I showed her my 100 pages of fiction, and she said, Larry, well, it's, it's not the worst novel I've ever read. <laughs> <laughs> And that was an end of my fiction career. But uh, 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 so, but this other one. Why it, do you think that is? Why? Why? Why are you so shitty at it? Well, it was my one effort. <laughs> I don't know. I, I think I could actually still believe, even though she was, you know, it's the one negative thing she's ever said to any writer ever. But, <laughs> but uh, um, um, I did write a fiction series for the Willamette Week that right. ran for, called Pillars of Portland, and it ran for a year and. And they well, made, there you go. And they made a movie out of it, which happened. It was a TV movie, which turned uh-huh. out to be the worst two hours in television history. <laughs> <laughs> but um, uh, although they had a that it showed like back in the 80 or something like that. Uh-huh. Well, a couple of years ago, the Clinton Street Theater yeah. decided that they were going to show it. They're going to have a special <laughs> screening. And, and they called me up and I went, don't do that. It's embarrassing. <laughs> I mean, I didn't write, there was no script. I didn't write a script or anything, but yeah. it, it was had my name all over it because it was my creation. I mean, the column was, the movie wasn't, but um, but I was involved in the movie. That, um, so anyway, they, they said, we'd like you to come and say a few words before the movie and I want to do that because it's embarrassing <laughs> and there won't be anybody there I mean anybody who saw it would never go back and see it again so I show up and the place was packed the Clinton Street Theater was packed and I don't know where these people were all like 30 they weren't even alive when it showed how did why are they here and I got to say my little word and so they showed the movie <clears throat> And the, it was like being at a Rocky Horror Picture Show. They loved it. They started screaming and hooting, and they're talking to the screen and yelling at the characters and everything. And I'm, you know, over there, you know, trying to duck under my seat. But it turned out that they loved it. They later showed it again a month or so later at the um, uh, 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 art museum thing, uh-huh. the f- Northwest f- uh, Film School thing, yeah. and and so all the people there were seventy and right. and big film buffs and everything, and they just sat there through the whole thing, with sitting on their hands. They didn't. They just like, oh my god, this is horrible. So the thing is. It, you just had to be really drunk or loaded to see that yes. thing because yeah. I, they, I couldn't believe how much they loved it the night that it showed. <laughs> anyway, I still thought it was terrible. Well, let's see. This, since this, this is organ music news. Oh, okay. Uh, at what the, and, we had and, music in that and, movie. And, and, and the, yeah. <laughs> well, but the thing is, you, um, uh, 
wasn't Huey Lewis involved in some way in, in trying to get Counting Coup made into a movie? Oh, yeah, he was. Yeah, sad, that was my uh, a, a I had sad a chance story. To, I thought I was going to, it's sort of a sad story. I thought I was going to get, he's going to invite me to be one of the news. But, um, <laughs> So I got approached by, it was by Huey, um, and I go, wait, Huey Lewis? Um, and so, because I liked his music, and so, uh-huh. so I flew over, he lives in, on a ranch in Montana, and um, I flew over to see him, and we spent like four days together, and he, he had read the book like three different times, and he, was, he wow. wanted to produce the movie, and then he also wanted to act in it. That was oh. his thing, he was trying to become an actor. He'd been in a couple of movies, one by Robert uh-huh. Altman, and another uh-huh. one, uh, duets and another one called yeah. I can't remember but anyway so I spent time with him and he had uh, two uh, partners uh, women that he was in his little production company one of them was an actress out of Hollywood young woman probably late 20s uh, absolutely stunningly gorgeous and but she had a double degree. She had a, a degree from Stanford and a and a BA from uh, and an MA from Stanford in business, huh. and she's an actress. And so she, that was the other partner, and another one who was a woman, a, a real producer from uh, LA who'd done a lot of TV stuff. Uh-huh. Well, eventually, that woman, the TV producer, I, I she was treated me like shit, and so huh. I I pulled the plug on the deal. Because uh, it was just uh, too, I couldn't. I these. This is a story about some real people, yeah. and I was afraid they were going to. And then the book caused enough trouble, and the movie would have been tenfold as bad. Yeah. And so I pulled the plug, which made any chance I had of getting in the news with Huey. He hated me for it. But the two women, his partners, that one of them, the the beautiful uh, actress. She now is the first lady of California. She's married to Gavin Newsom. <laughs> <laughs> and she's brilliant and, and fantastic. And the other woman went on to produce two TV shows after th- this thing happened. Yeah. One of them, the first one was called Breaking Bad. Oh. <laughs> and the second one was called House of Cards. Wow. <laughs> I guess I screwed up her career. Yeah, <laughs> you'll never work in this town again, lady. <laughs> <laughs> so they showed me. So anyway, but you know, I had my, I had to take a moral ethical stand there. Yeah, probably cost me a million bucks, but whatever. Oh jeez. Yeah, but Good anyway, point. so so that was it with Huey. Now Huey, I I just. Her, uh, we're mutual friends. He's he's lost his hearing. He's really oh, he can't do anything now. That's too bad. Yeah. yeah, but he was I he was a great guy. I we spent a lot. We hung out here in Portland a lot, and uh, we went on a golfing adventure down to Bandon Dunes, and uh-huh. we were tag uh-huh. buddies uh-huh. until we weren't. Matter of fact, I I just that just brought me back because when I did a TV story on you it was it, you were golfing. Yeah. I'm still I am. Really? Yeah, I almost made a par last week. <laughs> I haven't got any better. And you've never fallen asleep once on the golf course? <laughs> no, come on, it's so come exciting. on. It is. Hey, I, I, you know, I don't make fun of your Baltimore Orioles. Yes, you do. Okay, or, or, or your whatever we're doing is podcast. Yes, you do. The podcast for the, the musically you, 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 disinclined. You make, you make lots of fun of those things. Yeah, that's true. I do. Yeah, well, I'm used to being in the dugout where everybody makes fun of everybody. You know, there is no sacred ground. Well, ever been in a newsroom? 
Yeah, I have, but <laughs> yeah. but not as an paid employee. Oh, I see. Yeah, well, it's I, pretty much the same. Yeah, you know? right. It's well, yeah. it's pretty much the same anywhere you go. Come right. to think of it, so right. I guess. Yeah, I even guess. in my house, except know. in a newsroom, people have a better vocabularies. Yeah, that's true. Well, we got a good vocabulary <laughs> at my house. So. I bet. Yeah. So anyway, uh, so anyway, so the other book. Oh, the other book, yeah. Uh, the other book is a fiction piece. It's really sort of it's a... It's fiction. No, no, a nonfiction. Oh, okay, okay. I, I, I forgot one word there, yeah, non. Yeah. Gotcha. A nonfiction. Gotcha. Um, it, although I could make it fiction, maybe, but it's about... Uh, <laughs> Who would know? My <laughs> editor and publisher and agent would go, this is a piece of shit, Larry. Why are you wasting our time? So um, the um, it's about... Uh, the death of a young woman uh, mm. who died under mysterious circumstances in San Francisco. And it's sort of a look into what happened here because the police wrote it off as an accident, uh-huh. but I, my, I, I doubt it. And so, uh, but it's a look at the family and then how the family uh, sort of got to that point and then dealing with the grief of losing. She was 23 when she died. Wow. And so, the, you know, I can't imagine the sorrow uh, having daughters of my own. I can't imagine it. So it's a look at her life in in parallel to her father's life, uh-huh. sort of a father-daughter piece. Uh-huh. And um, so... How far along are you? Oh, halfway. Really? Yeah. I still got some interviewing to do, though. Wow. wow. So uh, it won't be out for probably... Well, that's... that's uh that's 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 difficult. Well, the people who've read the pages I've read so far really like it. I mean, it's it's a hard subject because it's a downer in a way, uh-huh. and there's a thread of alcohol that goes through it too, and so that it, it takes a look at that as well. I mean, it's a how are you holding up with that story? I, I get bummed out sometimes reading. I mean, thinking yeah. about it and investigating yeah. and talking yeah. to people who I've had a number of interviews where people will cry because yeah. the, this happened back in you know fifteen years ago. So, uh-huh. so but it brings back up all this stuff. I've talked to all the this the young woman's best friends and they, you know, they sort of stashed it into a corner of their life. Right. And, and but then I come back and bring it all up and it's been tough. Wow. Yeah. So, but I hope to do her. I she was a fantastic kid. That's part of why the story is so good. Yeah. Is because she was just an amazing superhuman being. Wow. And she was on her way to greatness. And then boom. Uh, so, uh, uh, uh. she actually, what, how she died was she was at a New Year's Eve party and was on the top of a uh, high rise building and, and fell off or got pushed off. That's the, Jeez. That's the problem. We don't know. Wow. And so, uh, even to this year, the police said it was an accident, but she was an athlete. She was, I don't know how she would have fallen. So, anyway. Well, it's a good thing you're working on two of them at the same time. Yeah, like today, the this other morning. One is, is a, a change of pace. Yeah, well, this morning I wrote about the the shorts, uh, which I have trouble writing one book at a time. You know, to do two is sort of beyond my technical capabilities. But uh, I can go to the the short story one, and that's always they're, they're all funnier, uplifting, yeah, yeah, and it's more yeah. positive stuff. So, right. like today, I I worked on it because I didn't want to come in and talking to you all bummed out. Right. <laughs> 
Right. No, well, geez. Yeah, and then you'd show up in your Orioles sweatshirt. I mean, for those of you who don't get this on your, your widescreen TV, you know, your host, <laughs> Tom, is wearing a Baltimore Orioles because, you know. That's right. I'm guessing that right now in the Tri-County area, he's the only person with an Orioles sweatshirt on. There was one other guy. Yeah, but he's not wearing it right now. No, he moved to New York. Oh, okay, yeah. <laughs> he was a, he was born in Portland. Yeah, he became an Orioles fan when he was a little boy because of the because of the Orioles. Yeah, Oriole yeah, logo. no, that was cool. Like I like the Cardinals and because of their great him. saxophone player. His name was mm. Dusty York. Right. He had one of the best jazz labels in the history of Portland. He's got a great Dianic. name, Dusty York. Yep. And uh, next to and Dusty was, Rhodes, he was the he was the son of Michael York, one of the, one of the original members of, of Mel Brown's quintet. Really. And was a tremendous player, and it was a great label. He recorded every young player on the way up, and great pay, and plus plus you know uh, uh, older players that that were mm-hmm. in town. And then one day decided, I'm not doing this anymore. He moved to New York. No, he he sold his horn. Oh, and just did something else. Now he's really? a, now he does stand up on the uh, in, uh, in, in the well. He moved to New York. And then he met somebody and moved, and, he's, and he moved to Baltimore. Wow! So now, for the first time in his life, he can walk around with Oriole gear on, and nobody will care or wonder what the fuck is wrong with him. You know, I have I have multiple hats that I wear, and I don't even remember what hat I can. I'm wearing a hat right now, and I don't even know which one it is. But uh, uh, I was walking down the street the other day, walking my dog, and this guy stops me, and he goes. No, I said something. He had two Range Rovers parked in his driveway. And I said, I don't know if you know about the Portland City Ordinance. Against, you're only allowed one Range Rover per family. Here. And he looks at me and then he says, well, I got worse news for you. I'm a Yankee fan. Oh, jeez. You know, and I go, well, why are you telling me that? But then I realized I was wearing a Boston Red Sox uh, hat. So then uh, I just. Are you, do you have a team? Really? No, not really. Uh, I don't. That's a shame. I, I don't. I played for the Phillies, but I don't no, pull no. for the Phillies. Uh, I, I mean, I no, not really. Especially now that they have Bryce Harper right. for them. I don't want that guy. <laughs> Shit. He he signed. Well, he got a what was it? One hundred and thirty-three million dollars. I figured it right. out. I did yeah. the math. This time, I mean, yeah. I sat down with the pencil. Uh, based on my <laughs> salary, my eight thousand dollars a year when I was in the big leagues, for me to make what Bryce Harper makes, yeah. I would have to have played a hundred and forty-two thousand years. <laughs> And I know he's better than me, although he's only hitting 240 or something. My career batting average in the big leagues in spring training was I, I was up 10 times. I got six hits. So that's pretty good. See, they didn't know in spring training. They don't know who you are. And so right. they're going to start you off with a fastball. I was just a pitcher. I'm not going to waste a curveball on this guy. And I could hit a fastball. So anyway, so Bryce Harper, fuck him. Uh, when when might be when might we see your books? Well, you can see any of the other ones. The I, other I, ones I are available. Right. They're available we go on that. Amazon. Got, and got, let's not I know. let's not bet on the ifcom. Let's go right now. Go down and order them up. <laughs> Counting coup. Uh, uh, no ordinary joes. Uh, well, I forget what I did. I wrote so damn many. I can't remember. You were, you were working on that the last time we we no did ordinary one of these joes. Took together. a long time. That was yeah. Because I, yeah. I bumped my head in that submarine you we took me to, and I done a, sub, met, on a submarine yeah. because the story was about four submariners yeah, from World yeah, War II. Yeah. So I don't think the submarine's th- down in the, down in, on the river anymore. 
It was about a year ago. I really? Been, yeah, I haven't okay. been down there and looked. You but you so. took me down there as yes. if this is going to connect me to the story, <laughs> and I bumped my head trying to walk into the damn thing. And but, you've blamed me ever since. Yeah, and I've yes. been. That's why it took me six years to finish that stupid book. <laughs> There's a case of here's inside a publishing world. I I was tiling that book on the coral. Uh-huh. On, it has a nice cognitive dissonance, a nice resonance. Right. And on the coral is a Navy term for meaning on the bottom. Ah. And these guys were on the bottom in the Depression. They were grunts in the Navy. Uh-huh. They were on a submarine, and then they got sunk, and they went to the bottom of the ocean floor, and they got captured by the Japanese. So they were on the bottom there, and then they came back from the war, and they had to start all over again on the bottom. So I thought on the coral was a perfect name for this book. And uh-huh. then the publisher said... Uh, well, nobody's going to know what that means. And I said, well, <laughs> tell me, just off the top of your head, what does to kill a mockingbird mean? <laughs> what is uh, uh, one flew over the cuckoos? Well, you kind of know that one, but uh, what about catcher in the rye? Yes. Is that a baseball story or what? <laughs> you know, a counting coup. Nobody, you, that's why you read the book to find out what they're right. saying. Right. I lost that argument, and they titled it <laughs> No Ordinary Joes. Well, first of all, Joes is an Army term. And this right. is a book about Navy guys. <laughs> and so that, bo- that book would have been sold by 5 million copies. It, it, well, two things. <laughs> One, it didn't. And two, it came out the same day as um, Laura uh, uh, what's her name? The, she wrote um, uh, the book about the captured guy by the Japanese. Oh. They made a movie with uh, uh-huh. that was Angelina Jolie. Uh-huh. I can't remember the name uh-huh. of the movie. I've blocked it out of my mind. It came out the same day <laughs> as mine, and I was relegated to the, sitting at the end of the bench. And Angela, Angelina played the captured guy? No, she did not. She produced and directed the movie. I see. Yeah. Um, ca- no, not ca- I'll think of it before we That's leave okay. here. Yeah, maybe anyway, not. Nobody cares anyway. Right. So what the hell? <laughs> Both of your ris- listeners, they don't care. They, they go. So okay, what's the next question? That's it. That's it. Yeah, go out on the bottom. All right, yeah. on the coral. On the coral. <laughs> we were just down there on the coral, yeah, and uh, we, that, we started. I've, we started up in the sky, yeah, and we ended right. at the bottom of the yeah. ocean. Okay. Well, uh, <laughs> let me tell you, Tom. It has been a pleasure coming over here to the great uh, northwest section of town. Yes. I like the Northwest. I used to, that's where I first lived when I moved here was Northwest, really? uh, but only for about a, This was probably a strip club then. I never came to <laughs> this part of the Northwest. I was more in the Hipsterville area, I 21st see. and Gleason. But yeah. the, um, and we're only a stone's throw from Vaughn Street, uh, Vaughn Street Ballpark. That's true. And speaking yeah. of the stones, I bought three tickets for my grandson to go with his mom and my daughter to the stones up in Seattle. The yeah. three tickets together cost a thousand, over $1,000. And then they canceled because, I don't know. He had heart surgery. Somebody Mick had, had. Mick had heart surgery. Oh, was it Mick that had yes. heart surgery? So yes. they canceled it, and they rescheduled for July when nobody comes. So I'm out a 1000 bucks for these tickets because you can't get your money back. No. So do you want to buy my tickets no. to the stones? No. no. I've, no I, I saw so. them once in, in the L.A. Forum. The, the opening act was Ike and Tina Turner. That's my whole Social Security check. What? The thousand dollars. Oh yeah, right. Uh, that's all you get for Social Security. That's well, wrong. you never really had I took a job. It, I, t- I took it early. Yeah. Oh. Oh. Okay. I yeah. was betting against myself. Yeah. Well, yeah. I I held out because I knew I was a, a physical marvel. All right. <laughs> okay. Wrapping this up. Thanks a lot. Okay. Oh, it's great to see you. Yeah, thank you. I missed you. Oh, I bet you did. I did. Okay. All Later right. on, Tom. Bye.